Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Red Jacks On. Today, I am your host, Sirhan, and today I have with me, as always, Charlie, Rick, and Fraser. And Fraser. Woo! Yeah, and Fraser. And Fraser. Fraser. Well, to be honest with you, I, I heard Rick, and I was like, Rick? Rick? What? Finish your name, bro. Rick. Rick. Every every week you lose a letter. It's like Rickesh, Rickesh, Ricky, Rick, Rick. Sign language is next. Rick. Sign language is next. <laughs> just gonna be like, hey Rick, how you doing? Just gonna be like, <gasps> so <laughs> this week's potty, I want to do something a little bit different. Open a new spectrum. I'm gonna go into a little bit of history. Okay. Oh. And the history that I want to touch upon, it's it's a brief history. I'm not gonna go deep. There's so much, too much to go on, and some odd little truth. When someone says it's a brief history, it's never a brief history. Rikesh, How many Rikesh. times it's, we'd heard this in school? Rikesh. It's only six and a half pages. Don't worry. Oh, my gosh. oh that's <laughs> not, it's not really. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. I think it's like I think it's like four. Uh, today is the touching upon the history of London. Oh, London. Something right. I thought would be close to home. Literally and figuratively. Um, and obviously, yeah, you know, to kind of inform some of our listeners maybe abroad of this is where we're from. This is where we're born and raised. Yeah, we'll touch upon place. our own little areas and we can touch upon our own little memories. But um, yeah, I just thought I've always been interested in history and I thought London would be a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. London, London. Yeah. Out of, out of England as well, like English history. London's got like a really interesting history. So. That'd be yes, cool to hear yeah. what you've got. Yeah. Like I said, I, I didn't go too deep. I kind of started this off as more of just like odd tidbits of trivia. And I was like, this without a little bit of backstory doesn't really mean as much. So to touch upon a brief history of London. So London was founded in 43 AD. It was at the time it was discovered or sort of founded by the Romans, and it was called Londinian. If that's okay. how it's pronounced, but that's how it's uh, spelt. It quickly became a thriving Roman town and a major trading and administrative center for the province of Britannia. The Romans constructed a bridge over the Ro- uh, River Thames, so that bridge is Roman, which helped facilitate trade and transport. They also built a defensive wall around the city, parts of which can still be seen today. Londinium was strategically located for controlling trade routes and played a crucial role in the Roman Empire's operations in Britain. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you can, because obviously you can get from the English Channel straight through on the Thames, right through to London, so... Yes, Fraser. They picked that. that, that Okay, I'm doing the history. Fraser's doing the geography. You two got to figure out your roles as we go. I'll do the soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be like a like a a flute or something or like a a lute. That sounds a bit Irish. Sorry, it does a little bit. So the name London has its origins in the city's ancient history and is derived from the Roman name for the settlement established in the area, as mentioned, 43 AD, uh, which the Romans called Londinium. I couldn't quite find the history of why they called it that. And to be honest with you, I didn't know that the Romans founded London. I thought just the Romans came and just kind of 
you know, like r- straight roads and sewage systems and kind of modernized certain things, built bridges and roads and stuff. I didn't realize they were the reason it is what it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they they I, I, they did come around to do a couple of things. I guess it's just a just one of those things that stuck Londonium. I mean, they an I mean, ideal the Romans, spot. The Roman history is scattered all throughout the United Kingdom. I yeah. mean, even where I am in, I mean, I live in Scotland. We have like a local park and it's like a really long track that you walk around. And even there, it's like, it was like a semi-museum. I mean, as you walk down the path and there's just these like ruins and it'll be like a little plaque. And it was like, this was a like haphazard built Roman bath when they first came from the north trying to get to the south. And they were like, they just built it for their army, done what they did. And they just kept on going. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's just so random in the middle of a park. But I was like, fair enough. Now they just left it there. So I always cool. point to t- I always point to Tanya. I'm like, look, look, look. That's your ancestors. <laughs> She's Italian. So um, the exact etymology of the word Londinium is not entirely clear, but is believed to have evolved from a pre-Roman, Celtic or Celtic, depending how you pronounce it, language. Some scholars suggest that it may have been influenced by the Celtic word Lund or Lont, meaning wild or fierce, which could describe the nature of the early settlement or the River Thames' turbulent waters. Mm. So obviously before it was a big bad city, mm. it was greenery, it was forest, it was nature and wild in of itself, hence why even in our areas of like Edmonton Green, wood green, the green referring to a forest being there at one point. Mm-hmm. Nah, surely not. That's mad. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, man. Um, well, obviously like... Uh... Assassin's Creed is is pretty good, like for the historical content in their video games, mm-hmm. um, and you can see like a very early version of London in the in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, in Valhalla! Oh, yeah, Valhalla! Yeah, because it's it's set across uh, Britain, uh, and when you go there, like it's got all the Roman stuff still there, and you like it's weird because like the north of the Thames is quite built up. But like just south of the Thames, it's all greenery. It's all like fieldy and greenery. So it took a while to build up. Mad to think about. Yeah, man. We listen. We was all in the in the nature in the wild. So it's kind of mad to think that with that expansion of like proper solid permanent bridges, that it was like, oh, this is a massive river. Well, we can do everything on this side of the river. That side, I kind of have to leave alone or. I can't mm-hmm. really take supplies or building equipment there, so it's like that weird sense of how things naturally grew and evolved, depending mm. on the on the, on the landscape. Yeah, cool. So That's over right. time, learn... wait, did you learn that from Valhalla? Because you're so late. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, no, I mean like, because if anything, you'd think that you would have heard that from um, was it Syndicate, that one that was based in London. Syndicate, Syndicate? is was... like Victorian times. Yeah, Victorian like a, era. Uh, uh, years off, thousands of years yeah. off. Okay, um, I jumped the gun. The Vikings came to the UK after the Romans had already been here, so already been established. I think the, the Romans like. were like already ancient, and they they do still talk about them a lot, like like talking up how they built up all these things and yeah, how crazy the things that they built were, all the bridges and the buildings temples well they were the mm. peak of empires within their time so it's yeah. amazing yeah so it would make sense that with their decline and then moving forward other cultures around the west would be like wow these guys were freaking awesome mm-hmm. you know they've done stuff we didn't know so over time the name londinian Lon- londinium was adapted and evolved into london which as we know it now which has remained the city's name to this day london has a rich and diverse history 
and its name reflects its deep historical roots as a Roman settlement and its evolution into the vibrant metropolis it is today. Maybe London is just slang. <laughs> it's the first, it been. first slang. <laughs> Some guy was like, yo, welcome to London. It, London. It, Lon- London. ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
Now, my understanding of the Vikings presence was apart from my own little passion of kind of going to it was started off in Rickish would know the show Vikings. Mm-hmm. And then my fascination with it, and then the whole world followed, and even Assassin's Creed followed. But um so to my understanding, when the Vikings came, they arrived from the north and they worked their way south. And they came initially for the sake of like the climate and the way that you could work with the land, because obviously it wasn't as extreme cold as it was in <laughs> Norway. And that is why, for example, like starting from Scotland, especially kind of getting to the Midlands, more so Liverpool, um, there is so much tall, broad, blonde and blue-eyes people because of that Viking mix. And also some of the um, Liverpoolian, I think it's like the way it's pronounced, Liverpoolian, but the Liverpool slang that we consider, just like normal English slang, is Norwegian or back then sort of Viking words and terminology. And that's how much they kind of got wrapped up into the British culture and blood. Wow. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I know you can that... never understand Liverpool, Liverpool Liverpoolian people. Liverpoolians. 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 The puddles. The puddles. The Liverpoolians. <laughs> but um, I do know that as much as London fought them off and they did kind of invade and kind of make agreements with the king at one point for a settlement, it didn't work out. But I know that, I don't know how to kind of put this, like bloodline-wise, the most closest and purest and oldest bloodline within the UK is to my understanding and knowledge is Cornwall because they were one of the only parts of Britain that when the Vikings came and knocked on their door, they kept them out. So their blood did not get mixed with the way the rest of the, uh, the UK sort of started to evolve with a new type of culture. Mm-hmm. I genuinely thought you were going to say because of incest. <laughs> no! Cut them fucking Cornish. I learned that from a Cornish friend, mate. He was awesome. And I've been to Cornwall and their pasties are as, as amazing as they say it is. No, they are. No, honestly, I and love new- Cornwall. Mate, it's freaking beautiful. But yeah, that's yeah. just a little tidbit as well. So, so during now that, we um, on... also oh, just wanted to add, like during that era, like Please. all the different regions of the UK were kind of like in a power struggle so mm-hmm. because when the when the vikings came in it created like a common ally for that mm-hmm. for that power struggle out of that is when sort of the monarchy sort of formed so mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, i think it's wessex which is now just yes. like, it's not wessex anymore it's just like the west <laughs> um but that that uh, region came out on top and sort yeah. of began the monarchy from there I do know, and again, this is probably going to come from a little bit of the Viking show, but touching on a little bit of history, because obviously they're pulling from history that was made by the History Channel, but they're going to, you know, Hollywoodize a lot of the story. So the story is based around Ragnar Lothbrok, right? But it's, they kind of admitted that because especially the Vikings didn't write down anything, this Mm -hmm. show that was created about this man is pulled from a lot of folk tales that may possibly be about multiple people, multiple men throughout the Viking history. But the one thing that they are 100% sure of is... When Ragnar died, um, and he was the person, the person that kind of took all the Viking tribes and said, let's stop fighting each other. Let's become a, a nation. Let's become one unit and then go to other countries. So he pulled mm-hmm. all these people together. He died in the UK. He's yeah. buried somewhere in the UK. So all the different towns and villages and all the different uh, sort of parts of the Viking sort of society and culture of Norway came together. They came to Britain as one massive army and they were chanting like Ragnar. So that's one of the only things that they were confirmed in the history of that all these people came together and they came to war with Britain at one point because they were like, you killed fucking Ragnar. 
mm-hmm. you son of a gun. Wow. In the show, it's a bit more, obviously they kind of bend it to their own sort of um, storytelling devices where Ragnar, yeah, to the narrative sort of plot points. So Ragnar kind of agrees with one of the kings of like, I don't want to live anymore. You can kill me and blah, 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 blah. Um, and the king kind of goes, right, all you have to do, I will do this for you, but you have to tell your people that this other king between Essex and Wessex and other uh, other areas, because there was different kings in different areas of, 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 of the UK before it became united. Yeah. Um, and they went and killed one of the kings. So one of the other kings that was alive after this war and all that was like, all right, cool, shit, I'm going to take this territory for myself. And then it expanded and became more of England as we know it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of double dealing. Oh. Like a, right, there's multiple kings on the same land. Yeah. Forget one monarchy. There's multiple bloodlines. That's crazy enough as it is, man. Is there anything else we'd like to add, boys? I mean, I had first of all, I had no idea Ragnar Lothbrok was actually based upon a real character. Just the whole time, a real, a real, a real person. person. Like, yes, yes, a real person. A real person. Yeah, but and like I said, I had in the no show. Idea. They take other stories. They even take some of his uh, stories of naturally his sons. as they would, yeah, because it's still a show. It's still a show, but yeah, absolutely, the fact that absolutely. Ragnar is based upon a real person. Mm-hmm. Kind of blew my mind. I had no idea. I thought watching Vikings, it was just a show. I had no idea there was Rikesh. like actual Rikesh. Rikesh. <laughs> Historical I'm not Ooh. a history guy. Before Who you start judging, wants to be king, Rikesh. Who wants to be king? <laughs> Simba. Oh, my blood boils for that show. Simba. I've May not I'll seen Vikings, so, you know, this might sound like a dumb question. Is Ragnar anything to do with Ragnarok, or is that completely two separate things? No, 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 that's that's a fair question. Um, no, it's got nothing, like, the idea of Ragnarok kind of comes before Ragnar's birth and everything, but obviously through the mythology, they're kind of like, oh, Ragnar is, like, one of Odin's, like, demi-sons, like, half-human or something, like, sent to Earth, because he was so revered and obviously there's so much uh, mythology around him who knows what is actually true but they know mm-hmm. that the person existed how much he did we don't know but we all know is the army came to, uh, together at the end so he must have been a very important person for all these random villages to say we're going to come together and go to some you know unified enemy okay that's cool yeah yeah it's a question though mate. I, I had the same but, thought i'm so in the dark at the minute um i'm just learning everything you're telling me i'm learning firsthand so when you said no, 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 anything fine. you want to add, same like, boat, mate. Same what? boat. It was like a teacher asking you. <laughs> Any, anything else anyone want to add to this lesson? Can <laughs> anyone tell me what I've actually missed out or what what have <laughs> I actually misquoted? You're like, huh? Oh. And you taking notes? I actually tried. I'm, there's going to be a quiz at the end. I got left behind. Oh, don't. No, 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 there won't be. There won't be. There won't be. So I just spell Londinium. M. <laughs> Get out! Get out! I'm sick and tired of this. <laughs> now it feels like school. So um, now we move on to exactly as we mentioned, 1066, which is the Norman Conquest. So in 1066, William the Conqueror, Duke of Normandy, invaded England and defeated King Harold at the Battle of Hastings. He was crowned King of England and took control of London. William ordered the construction of the Tower of London which was initially a symbol of royal power and later served various roles, including as a prison and treasury. I did not know. Yeah, towards that time, I didn't know that it was um, that William the Conqueror. And to my knowledge, William the Conqueror was French, right? Yeah, I was literally just looking at like where the hell Normandy even is. And it's in North France. 
northern France. Yeah, he, he was French. I don't know. And I, I, this is a horrible history. I don't know if it was him or another. There was like a either him or another French ruler that had control of England. And he, he disliked it so much here that he left his mum in charge and went back to France. Oh. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was him though. But I, I that remember that history. was horrible. That is not yeah, that enough was an yeah. Here in this stupid land, I am going back to France. <laughs> it literally was something like that. <laughs> like Mama, come rule for me. Um, so yeah, he he kind of instigated the whole creation of the Tower of London, which is just freaking awesome. I had no idea. I'm still there today, mad. Indeed. So now we move on just a little bit into the Middle Ages, which span from the 11th to the 15th century. So the 1000s to the 1400s. So during this time, London grew both economically and politically. It became a prominent trading hub known for its woolen cloth production and trade with continental Europe. Westminster Abbey was founded in later on in the 13th century, solidifying the city's religious importance. What religious importance? What were they like? A big Catholic community, I'm imagining some kind exactly, of exactly, yeah. Christianity. Well, Westminster Abbey would represent a, a a peak of Christianity. So I assume at this time, of Christianity is now expanding throughout the West and in through Europe and kind of reaching the UK. I know there was um Christianity way before this, but now it's become one of the more established areas. So it's almost like I'm not going to compare it, but it's almost like that element, that symbolization of almost like a mecca of Christianity. Okay, we've got a a base, a HQ, a hub here. So now it, it, it represents this part of us. Right. So I okay. think that's what it means by politically, because obviously, especially in that time, pol- politics and religion was a bit side by side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One influenced the other. So now there's a more of a, a standing in its uh, stature, I guess I'm going to say. Mm. Right. Okay. I don't know much about this stuff. If I don't know much about it and you know, stop me, add it on by all means. It's kind of cool that Westminster Abbey was built around that time, though, in the Middle Ages. Mm. Why do they call it the Middle Ages? It's not really in the middle, is it? Like, because now. It's like, yeah, but it's like when people say, I'm going through a midlife crisis. I'm like, how do you know you're in the middle of your life? They're like, <laughs> so that's well, when everything shit for humanity. Every, every the Middle went Ages, all like, oh, <laughs> bad. God, they bought so many leather jackets. <laughs> it was woolen cloth, Charlie. Woolen cloth. Cloth and jackets. That doesn't shout midlife crisis, though, does it? Without a load cloth of wool. <laughs> I bought a lot of cloth. I think you'd be you'd be lucky if you had uh, more than one shirt to wear in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Like, I always got in a second shirt. A time. <laughs> yeah. If you wear, like, two woolen cloth shirts, everyone's looking like, oh, my God, he's wearing all of his clothes. He's fucking nuts. He's going crazy. <laughs> like, when a one bad downpour of rain, and he's fucked. He's got no more clothes. We can't dry it. <laughs> But yeah, so Middle Ages, and we're going to tag it now. We've said it. It was a midlife crisis of, of, of everything, <laughs> everywhere. And, um, so now we kind of move on to the 16th century, which is the Tudor and, I didn't know this, the Stuart period. I know Tudor. I don't know Stuart. I don't know who the <laughs> Stuart is. He's all right. He's all right. He's, he's a good guy, isn't he? He, he, but, he tries. Um, he tries. Him, him and his Londoniums and his woolen shirts. But the, uh, the Tudor period, which encompassed the 16th century, was marked by the reign, and this is where our history lessons began, the reign of Henry VIII and the mm. establishment of the Church of England, which we all know that established. Guy. We know that guy because he established because he wanted to be able to divorce his wife. And he created a whole church and religion just to do it, which is 
that's kind of crazy. And the whole country became split. So um, Elizabeth I's reign in the late 16th century brought prosperity and cultural growth to the city. I think Elizabeth I was the daughter of Henry VIII? Yeah. And yeah, Angela. right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, 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 thank sure. you. And so, yeah, she brought a lot of prosperity. She shut your dirty mouth, boy. A lot of prosperity and cultural growth to the city. The Stuart period, which just came just after spanning the 17th century, saw significant changes, including the English Civil War and the execution of King Charles I in 1649. So I think this was the point where um, sort of the whole Church of England and the other church... <laughs> I don't know the names of both what was happening, the Catholics and the Protestants sort of thing was mm. kind of kicking oh. in. There was a lot of in infighting. Okay. And so every time a new monarchy, and again, this is horrible history, every time a new monarchy came into power, all the other people from the other religion was all sort of segregated or attacked or kind of like, you know, discarded, if you will, gone to war with. And then as soon as the new monarchy came out, no, 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 we're, we're the Church of England now. Then all the other people on the other side then had to go through the same sort of... Uh, Prosecution, persecution, I guess. See, this is this is why like the monarchy doesn't really stand up these days, because back then they were kind of like the leaders in like fashion and trends and led everybody with them if if they divided like society, you know, people would be following them, people would be against them. But these days, like I think because of the way social trends develop so quickly and we literally had Queen Lizzie for like 90 years. Mm-hmm. And now we've got King Charles, who is also mm-hmm. up there in age. It's just it's just dwindled completely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. They say that the monarchy now is main role is our connections and communications to other countries in the world. Mm. Because obviously, once no empire. the... There's no empire, but once the element of hardness, that's when religion and state separated. One could not really influence the other. They might have a communication and connection, but they separated those two states. And I think, for as we can see, a lot of infighting, an English civil war of, and every country, every empire will have it where they fight each other for a different reason. It's either sort of political beliefs or religious beliefs or a bit of both, and especially within Christianity where there's different factions and different styles and different sort of segments of religion. Mm. I think it was almost a good thing they separated it because now it's like, well, you can follow me politically, but it doesn't necessarily reflect anything about me religiously or vice versa. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I don't know how Mm. it would be if they kept it the same. I mean, I have a different opinion on it, but (laughs) you don't want to get (laughs) cancelled. You're more than welcome to Maybe I keep it to myself a little bit before we get Striked. Uh, I think we should just ask. You know, what's everyone's opinions on the monarchy? Come on. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I honestly don't mind territory. the monarchy. I can see my, my. I I grew up in a family where my mum loves the monarchy, and my dad thinks they're pointless. So I'm like indifferent, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's the general consensus. Is it's just indifference. Like they bring in tourism, they go to other countries and wave at people and. uh it's it's the it's the tax side of it though. That's uh that's controversial now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, if if we if if it takes state taxes to like clean the the Buckingham Palace or something like that, 
then it's kind of like, well, if we had to vote on doing that, would anybody put their hands up and say, yeah, I'll pay for that? I think a lot of people would, sadly, because there's so many like patriotic people who just absolutely love the monarchy. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I'm indifferent. I feel like it's going to become stale. Well, I think it's already stale, as Fraser said. Like, I think it's already like become one of them things that no one really gives a shit about anymore. But it's like really badly run. Like they run by the firm, and it, you know, it's done all these really shifty things. I think it won't be long until the flip happens. You know, like mm. I call it the BBC One flip. Because every oh. caster from the eighties all got done, like you know, however many years later for dirty antics. Oh, I think it's gonna. I think that. it's gonna have a BBC flip. <laughs> like, and I think everyone will turn oh. their backs on. Yeah, that I mean, is they, so true. So it. traumatic. Yeah, I love that the BBC flip. What happened, man? Oh, you know that Stuart man. He had a BBC flip. Fucking <laughs> Stuart. <laughs> no, no I, 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 I do, I do agree with you as well, Chaz, and all that. But I think it's going to be what it's going to be. And I think, especially in terms of taxes, if it's not them, it's going to be someone else. You know, they're going to be like, oh, we're going to clean Parliament with this. All right, cool, whatever. Like, mm. we're here it for history, sense. boys. Oh, mm. yeah, true. Yeah, true. We are here no, no, no. Go, go, if you want to express, express. I think it's, I think I want to put it out there now. If you hate them, it's okay. If you like them and love them, that's okay as well. No, I think they're pointless, to be honest. Like, it worked yeah. back in the day. Back in like when we had different sections of the kingdom and you know all these different kings, like back then it worked. It it made mm-hmm. sense to have a king and a monarchy and all that kind of hierarchy. It doesn't make sense now. Like times yeah. have changed. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't apply to anything. The most you see the king or the queen ever do were just guest appearances at the Olympics or guest appearances in other places that was like the reach of it they never really did anything else they brought in a lot of money tourism and all that kind of stuff yeah sure great for the country but in general they didn't do much like they didn't do anything to be honest with you it was kind yeah. of stupid it was a big tax thing i i, I think it's stupid to be honest but that's i think just me I, agree. I think for people listening outside of the UK, especially for people that don't have a monarchy, they might have like, I don't know, a democracy or, or a presidency. I think for us in, in the UK, for a lot of people, we don't understand or see the relevance of the monarchy all the time because we don't feel it in our social day-to-day life. Maybe with their absence, we'll think, oh my God, I didn't realize they were doing X, Y, and Z. Fair enough. But in this moment, there's no sense of presence or give and take. It's just they're there. And obviously, obviously for us, we were born into it like a lot of generations. Is that fair, yeah. would you say? Yeah, that's fair. I reckon it's fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So <laughs> I move on to the next point. And we're almost towards the end of sort of this little history rundown. And I'm going to hit some nice little facts. This is okay. That's the part I was most excited about. So now we hit the, in 1666, Ooh, the Great nice. Fire of London. It's when the, so this, devil the himself fire. arose. It was like six, 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 motherfuckers. Maybe that's where it came from. <laughs> I think it did. So the Great Fire of London occurred from September 2nd to September 6th. There was a four-day fire, or five if you count the days themselves, in 1666. It started in a bakery on Pudding Lane and quickly spread, consuming much of the old medieval city. The fire led to the destructions of thousands of homes and buildings, but it also provided an opportunity to modernize the city's infrastructure and architecture. I remember learning evil? a bit about that. No, I said I said it provided an opportunity to modernize the city's infrastructure and architecture. 
it's medieval oh. structure got burned. Oh, oh medieval. sorry, medieval. medieval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. it's evil structure. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> evil. No, no, it's not completely evil. It's like medieval. You know, it's mid. It's mid. Uh, it's, it's okay. It's in the middle. Yeah, it's it. not too bad. Right. Neutral I, I evil. I get it. I get it. I get okay. it. Thousands of homes destroyed. Got to revamp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Apparently, not a lot of people died in the fire either. It was only like a handful of people compared to like the, the catastrophe of the, what it was. I wonder yeah. how they handled all those displaced people. Isn't the when the well. Great Depression kicked in <laughs> around that same time? <laughs> the Mate, the bodies in the Thames, I guarantee you, man. But mm-hmm. um, what was the nursery rhyme about the Thames? I know there was one about the plague, you know, a tissue, a tissue. But what was the one with the London Bridge? Yeah, is it's it London Bridge? Down, falling down, falling, falling down. down. That's it. It's just London Bridge is falling down my all fucking day long lady. or whatever it is. Oh, my fair lady, yeah. My fair lady, I think it is. <laughs> that, why why, no why are you telling but... me? I <laughs> <laughs> just some old lady at the side of the bridge, like, why? <laughs> why? You're a fair lady and London Bridge is burning down. So I can't do anything. Why do you keep telling me? Stop singing. Put your fucking, put your fucking linen shirts on. We're going out. <laughs> so yes. So now we kind of touch on the, one of the last little staples. So now we touch on what we call the British Empire. Now, so London's significance during the British Empire extended from the 18th to the 20th centuries. As the British Empire expanded, London became the epicenter of global trade, finance, and administration. The British Museum in that time was founded in 1753, reflecting the city's cultural and intellectual importance during this time. So obviously, wow. as, as Britain does, and it does this very well, it expanded and it explored all these new cultures. And what it brought back, obviously, kind of in terms of the stuff that they learned, they made it their own. They had people settle in the country and they created a whole museum from it as well. Not just not very that positive. <laughs> That's very, I think that, you know, no, colonization think... is, uh, <laughs> it's not something to, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, they went out, they explored, they brought back some pineapples. Thrilling, there is, but they also always, uh, enslaved a lot of people and killed a lot of they people. They did, they did. <laughs> but I think, I think, I, I'm not saying that I'm ignoring that and that is a very strong, <laughs> relevant part. But if, Every culture's history, to a certain extent, has had, to put it not even lightly, atrocities mm-hmm. and, and domination of other countries and cultures. Every culture, we look at the Spanish, the French, even my own as Turkish, like every culture has a positive and a negative. But the point I'm trying to make is whatever they did, however good or bad, they didn't just leave it where they found it. They brought stuff back. Mm. And the UK is a bit, especially London's a bit of a melting pot. That's why all these cultures and percentages of different nationalities exist here. Because at that time, they were taking a lot of stuff. And as things modernized, they opened their doors and a lot of foreigners came to the country and brought their stuff. Yeah, so, which was a beautiful th- thing in the long run. <clears throat> oh, 100%. 100%. Like, there is... Uh, a lot of us wouldn't have existed if those mm-hmm. horrible things didn't happen. That, that doesn't... Um, excuse it. Just, yeah, it doesn't yeah. excuse it. Yeah. Absolutely not justify mm. it. But there has to be some acknowledgement to, oh, shit, that stuff happened, but I'm here because of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we have this yeah. stuff because of it. Like, if we didn't mix, none of us may not be in here. We never, may, may have never been friends. I would have stayed in my homeland and we would have done the same. And eh, that is very there's true. no, there's no very other true. Charlie Rickish and Fraser 
in Cyprus or in Turkey. I don't care. You don't know that? There might be. Hello, my name is Charlie. How are you doing? You okay? Huh? <laughs> I, I was about to do something very dicey, and then I thought, nope, not going to do that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to try and Good attempt call, a Turkish mate. accent and Good call myself call. a Turkish name that sounds like Charlie. That's risky. <laughs> hello, my, hello, my friend. I'm Charlie. Uh, I do the, Thank you. the kebab with the chili sauce. Uh, I, I like it very much. Uh, huh? We friends? We good? Okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Hello? Okay. Thank you, Sahan. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Merhaba. Okay. I, scra- I scratched the itch. I scratched the itch. Thank You're you. You're safe you. for now. <laughs> now you've just got to learn that word for word and then you can immigrate to Turkey. Yes. No, no. He, he's going to take it as a bite size. He's going to take it like a little gif or something and just go to Turkey and be like, Merhaba, hello, my name is Charlie. I do the kebab. <laughs> he's just going to play it on his phone. <laughs> wherever he goes. Just stand there nodding and smiling. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Yes, what he said. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. Becomes president of Turkey. Could you imagine? Just like get some. What are your new policies? Speech. Just press play again. <laughs> Hello, my name is Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah, Joe. <laughs> go, Charlie, go. Hey, everyone. We're just taking a moment here to let you know some more details about the podcast and the direction we're going. We wanted to let you know that we now have a Gmail account, and we would love to hear from you, connect to you, and get to know you all just a little bit better. So if you have any questions or comments that you might have, please don't hesitate and get in contact with us at rjopoddy at gmail.com. That's rjopoddy at gmail.com. That's right, Rikesh. Another way to get closer to the potty is our amazing but highly under-advertised Instagram page where you can find a collection of our funny and silly ads with visuals for your entertainment, as well as updates on the potty through our Instagram story, and where naturally you can also message us there as well. Find us at Red Jacks on Podcast on Instagram, and we hope you enjoy. Lastly, we are having plans of developing the podcast, extending outside of our hobbies and getting closer to our own individual passions. For me, being a trained therapist, my passion as well as profession is to help people, connect to people and share any tools and techniques that may be helpful to yourselves. And so, to bring the podcast and therapy world that little bit closer, I'm planning on creating an additional Agony Uncle style podcast to the Red Jackson family, where you can send us any mild to moderate issues and challenges you or someone you know may need any advice or guidance on where myself, as well as the boys, and any special guests can help and advise you and delve deeper into the therapy world. So please, message us on rjopoddy at gmail.com as mentioned above, and let's begin. If, however, you find yourself or someone you know in need of more specific, dedicated, one-to-one long-term help, then please contact me directly at sirhanafctherapy at gmail.com. That is S-E-R-H-A-N for November avci therapy at gmail.com or find me on the counseling director under Sirhan Avsi as mentioned. I hope to help, I hope to guide, and I hope to empower you all. Please find all the relevant details in the description below. I hope you enjoyed and possibly found a new way to get involved and for all of us to connect further. And now we've taken enough of your time. Back to this amazing episode of Red Jackson. So, moving on to our last little tidbit fact of this timeline for London is called uh, Modern London. So, this touches on more so after World War II. 
So London underwent significant reconstruction and redevelopment. The city continued to grow, welcoming immigrants from various parts of the world, becoming one of the most diverse and cosmopolitan cities globally. London today is a global financial and cultural hub with iconic landmarks like the Shard and the London Eye. So just to kind of finalise this little timeline, what do we think of modern London? I know we touched on it a little bit of different cultures and how the empire went out there and how stuff's come back to us. But yeah, how, how do we feel when we look at it now? What's our thoughts on London? I think it depends on whereabouts in London I actually am. If I'm like okay. at home in like local areas and and field, <laughs> obviously North London, um, it doesn't feel like London. It doesn't look like London. It just looks like any other area in the country. I I feel like it's just houses and a oh. bit of greenery, some trees or whatever. But unless you go into central, you can obviously notice there is a significant difference from your environment in Enfield or Edmonton or wherever to mm-hmm. central. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in like Soho or Covent Garden or Liverpool Street, there mm-hmm. is just a much bigger class difference. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what in- I was gonna say. The class difference yeah. you can tell instantly. Yeah, like certain air, like like the posher areas and like um, in like Westminster, like all like the where Ten Downing Street is, you all these, you see police walking around, and police are literally armed with like full on automatic guns and tasers and everything. You don't see that anywhere around here, unless the people are like in riot gear or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, there is a very big change, depending on whereabouts in London you are. And I think it's one thing that I do like and I don't like about it. Because you can go to like a different part of London, like Camden, where you mm. get a completely different vibe, different set of people, and it's just it's just quality. My kind of area that I love to go to. Yes. But, um, Camden's yeah. sick. Yeah, it's so good. But yeah, I think it, it just depends on what specific part of London you're talking about, I think, for me. Okay, fair enough. Boys? Yeah, I know. I think I think Rick's kind of spot on, and it like you, you've got so many different places you can, like even in different buildings facing different directions, can change your entire view of mm-hmm. where you are and what Very you're experiencing. True. Like, I worked in London um, for work experience when we were like what sixteen, and I went to work for central. Reuters News. Yeah, yeah. So like mm-hmm. in the Reuters News building, I remember this, and it was fucking incredible experience, but there were certain places in the building you'd look out and it looked shit. Like there was construction and it just looked like rundown houses. And you could tell it was like certain parts of London where like, you know, it was just a bit, no money in it. And then mm-hmm. you go to another side of the building on a different level. And you were looking out at like the eye and you could see big Ben and everything all in one shot. And it was like this beautiful landscape. And the difference was promotions. So like, if that was when I went up to the head office, that's what I could see. But when I was down in the lower bits, they were on like the East side they could only look at certain it but it was all planned out for the view so that you yeah. could tell how good you were doing in the company it's fucking crazy but that's like kind of symbolic of the whole of london and it you can go mm-hmm. to one part of london look out and go wow and then go to the other side and look out and go oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah thanks what about so, you Fraz? so so we're talking about like modern london yeah your understanding and your interpretation of london what's your opinion um it's it's really like a developing 
developing like a, a really fast developing city and you could tell it's like because of the people like london is really like a beating heart like for the country and it's just getting denser and denser and expanding more and more because like when we were younger enfield wasn't even really considered london it was middlesex right it was middlesex mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. they expanded it to the m25 uh greater london it would have called it and you can like rikesh said like you could tell there's more greenery it's more suburban in like enfield and then as you flow in you also get more and more urban more and more mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. packed and um yeah you see you you can see the class difference really easily because you've literally you can have like a a, a really rich really high class like place to live and you can have that like right next to an estate or like a uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a tower block and yeah. um yeah it's just crazy how it's how quickly it can develop because even now pushing out to like enfield that's being developed up more now as well and like yeah down to tottenham hell i guess you could or it's, it's like where yeah because that's where you can pretty much first catch the underground and go into central that's been yeah. proper built up like crazy it looks mm -hmm. completely different to where how, where it was like 20 years ago so mm -hmm. oh yeah. yeah that just kind of summarizes london to me really like developing bustling diverse uh in class and culture and uh yeah yeah it's crazy and it is growing exponentially like even yeah. from like a, a luton and bedford kind of point of view <laughs> you can see it's coming out like all the rules are slowly like coming out towards it's, like it's you know, leading outside of a big it. radius yeah, yeah. Oh. so eventually it will just be one big city like well not one big city but you know like everything will be a london standard what it is now and london will be like 20 years in the future <laughs> no i think everyone said it perfectly in their own way and i think london is one of those things especially people that live there and a lot of londoners will agree with me if not most is <clears throat> we love to hate it and we love to moan about it as well. Like there is this love-hate relationship with London where like we don't have to go specifically in our areas, but we can afterwards just talk about where we live now. Because obviously I've mentioned a hundred times on this pod, like I live in Scotland now, right? So I live not just out of London, I live out of England now. It's a complete different country. Like even our climate is completely different. Like I think in London, even my mum was saying tomorrow's gonna be like 10 Celsius. In Scotland, it's two. Like it's 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 enough to feel a difference of climate and day and time, but the system is very different. Now I love London, and I always say that if you go to if you go to London as a tourist and you know where to go, you can have the best time ever. There's always something to do. It never switches off in certain areas, mm -hmm. and especially when I've got family coming from abroad and they come to my house, they're like, "Oh, this is London." And I'm like. This is not what you expected, right? They're like, no. And I'm like, because this isn't London. I said, because it has the name. Don't think that this is London. I said, if you want London, you need to go central to have mm. that metropolitan beating core center vibe. So the name and the rules and the regulations are there, but not the atmosphere. Well, actually, there and... is two names for, for London. Because oh, we've, okay. we've, we've got London and then you've got the city of London, which is completely different yes. to London. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah, you said it perfectly there, phrase. I think that's but that's where people get if I said to someone London or the city of London that doesn't really live in the country, they're gonna be like, well, isn't the same thing? Like same they're thing. not gonna yeah. yeah, they're not gonna really have that difference. 
But um, yeah, London's a love-hate thing, man. Every time I come back to London, I'm always excited to be there. But London is so busy and so fast-paced that if you don't have a good people around you, if you don't have a good social network and connections, it's very hard to survive. Mm. Because yeah. the place doesn't give you as much as much as the people do. Yeah, that's you know? yeah precisely. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, I think it comes back to the area of people that you're that you're trying to mix in with. It's different areas. No, seem good to good have people, like... man. Healthy, healthy people, bro. But I'm not yeah. talking like you're going to go into some yeah. deep dark places with people. Of course, <laughs> but that's with any like... area, though, man. There's always going to be a bad crowd. Diagon Alley or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm going to move on to some facts now, and then I've got a second half of the body. So. One of the facts, I read this in a book. I didn't write this down because I could not quite find uh, the page it was on. I was reading, this was a psychology book. This was basically a person's diary sort of entry of their experience of working in London in the NHS. And they, the woman kind of added this tidbit. That was a true fact. When they were developing London, and obviously as we know as London is like North, East, South and West is complex completely different it is it is really divided not just in direction but in like you said whether it be our social standings cultural standing like just Mm. different societies within one bubble when they were developing the structure of london and i think this was around the time where the plague was kicking in a bit more and obviously there was a bit more famine and illness and stuff like that because of the way the wind went the wind, they kind of understood that kind of went from east to west. And what carries on the wind is germs. So they developed the poorer side of London in the east London originally. So they would take the brunt of all those germs and the breeze coming in. So the west London, which is very upper class, would not have almost, they'll be buffered or buffeted by the east. Mm. So they developed it. They developed it. So the east people, which is typically was the more lower class, was kind of like filtering all of this germs and craps, crap, uh, for West London. All right. Wow. That does it's not surprise me at all. Yeah, literally, no. that does not surprise me because that literally sounds like a solid representation of the way London is controlled. <laughs> oh now. yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the the lower class get kind of treated like shit. They do you know they get all the all the bullshit and all like the higher class people get protected. And that's kind of, I mean, that's not just London. I feel that's the way it is around the world. Yeah. But it's kind of like a very solid representation to let's build the poorer sides on the east so they can take the germs and protect the fancy higher class people. That's mad. That's actually insane. Again, not surprising for, for a city's development in general. Wow. Can wind actually carry germs that far across an ocean? Oh, Charlie. Yeah, mate. If if we if we were to believe everything with COVID, then that's how everything was. Um, no, in the in the wind. What? <laughs> it doesn't just travel yeah. across an ocean in the breeze. You don't cough into the wind and it travels. Well, that's what <laughs> I know it to be. Okay, if no, you want to be the science guy, if we learn anything from up. COVID, it ain't that. <laughs> it also just kind of makes sense from a logistical standpoint. Like, if people are coming in on boats, they would come in from the Thames from the east. All right. Okay. So you would have the docks. You would have like Surrey docks and stuff like that. Okay. Let, let me put it in a way that I can yeah, say it more fair. confidently. Geographically, it was more advantageous to have the poorer on the east and mm. the richer on the west, for whatever reason, guys. For whatever reason. Okay. <laughs> I think that's my. I think that's my bad. I think I just 
took it as it was traveling actually in the wind from a different country. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily, no, not, not, not necessarily. No, that, I, think... I, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I thought that was weird. Look, this is like a tidbit that I remember reading ages ago, and I was like, I was reading the book of Tanya, and I, I couldn't express how London is that, that sentence was. Like, That's kind of interesting. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This feels like it explains the culture of London in yeah. so many different ways. It's like a personality trait. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. now I'm going to move on to some more hardcore facts. Like more written down. I've looked into it, not just throwing it off at the top of my head. So London, even though the capital is the smallest city in England, the mega city that most of us know as London is actually called Greater London, whilst the city of London itself is a small portion of the sprawling um, metch, metro, metropolitan. Metro. Metropolis? Why am I struggling Metropolis. with this word today? Metropolis. Metro- Metropolis. Metropolis. Say strategically. Yeah. Strategically. Stuck your mouth for <laughs> That was another word I str- struggled with. Anyway, it has a population of only... So this is about the city of London, exactly as Fraser mentioned. So it has a population of only 9,123 people, it's making it the, the smallest city in England. So consider how many... I don't know what the stats are now. You can look it up. But how many millions of us there are in the, in the London scope just under 10,000 are in the city. That mm. sounds more spaced out than when you consider, like, London, for example, even compared to something like Scotland is like a third of the size, but it has, like, triple the amount of people. So the space, for example, the amount of gaps of people in Scotland versus the space in London is humongous. But then you look at the city of London, and even though it's packed because people are moving through it, the residents themselves is under 10,000. That's not a lot of people. I thought it'd yeah. be like 10. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be mostly industrial buildings and shops and skyscrapers and, and stuff like that. Well, right? and, like, and obviously people that work in the financial district and quite the upper class. They might not. Oh, I guess. Yeah, they probably would have houses there. Well, you, you think yeah. of something like you think of something like the Gherkin, for example. The Gherkin is at the top is like apartments that it'll be like, I don't know, like Arabian princes that will come like mm-hmm. mega rich people mm-hmm. that don't live here. But that's their London pad. That's where they live. Even like yes. my cousin now works in a in a very top notch hotel in central London, and these apartments are like minimum like a couple of million. And these kids will come as their summer holidays. And Edham will tell me like there's a cinema room. They got everything under one roof, and it's so big that it goes underground because there's so many apartments. Of you got your tailors, you got your, your I don't know your beauticians, your spa, everything. It's like a holiday home, but they pay millions and that's like the two three million four millions at the low end you can pay much much more as you go higher and the service is 24 hours a day so it's not necessarily people are permanent residents there's all these home locations that people jump in and out of as well it's crazy mm. and it's uh it's the same for west london as well like there's a um, yeah. there's a documentary you can watch on youtube called the spider's web that goes into all this stuff oh, as well and like it's not it's nothing to do with spiders <laughs> it's all about it's, oh, no, thanks. you lost me the spiders web it's all about um, <laughs> london's finances and um like the west of london is a lot of empty houses what? like really yeah just nobody's living in them but they've been bought by people who are paying for them to sit there empty Wow. And it's, it's again it's just a way that's L- london's developed because we kind of we kind of moved 
over it, but there was also like the industrial revolution and stuff like that, which probably yeah, would have I, bought a lot of workers. I and... used the word brief very openly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very brief history because I wanted to touch more of the facts and I mm -hmm. added the 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 a little history as an afterthought because I thought without a bit of context it might seem a bit random, you know? That's fair. Mm. But yeah, so, like I think from... like that industrial revolution obviously brought a big boom and then suddenly we're not producing anything anymore uh and like london's economics mainly come from like that financial district and stuff like that so it's just a lot of money coming from nowhere and uh yeah. sitting around making things more expensive <laughs> like, well, yeah, like, I mean... like london is amazing providing you have the money to enjoy it because London yeah. is not yeah. cheap by any fucking means. Yeah. So I... if you have the money, then, you know, you can... London is fucking amazing. It is a giant playground for sure. But like 99% of us, like, we don't have that fucking money to enjoy shit. Spend like millions on a random hotel apartment just to s stay there for a couple of weeks on your summer holidays and then come back. That's insane. <laughs> to me, that yeah. blows my yeah. mind. But yeah. There are people out there yeah. that, that, that that can live like that. I, so, you know. I used to always tell people, and I'm sure this figure has changed, but I've always stuck to it, that if you want to live in London comfortably, this is nowhere near the top end, but I just mean comfortably, even in a room. If you go out three grand a month, you could probably pay your rent and your utilities, do what you've got to do, have a decent enough place and car, and still maybe have a bit of pocket money to go out. I would say about three grand per person. Take home, yeah. So yeah, if you took home after tax, I don't know. I mean, look, I've like I said, I've been in Scotland for two years, and honestly, I've gone out more in two years in Scotland than I've done in almost thirty years in London, more consistently, because it's just such a difference of lifestyle. People are like, oh, it's London, you must love it, and I'm like, yeah, but we don't go out. Like you go to work and then you yeah. come home, because there is a certain function to London, and it is um, naturally, it's a different city. It's a very different mentality as well yeah, yeah very hustle bustle yeah of course but but at money, the same money, time money. i can't i can't complain because i'm like well it is the capital go to the capital of any country and it's always going to be more hustle and bustle than anywhere else in that country right like it stands oh, yeah, for yeah. reason mm -hmm. it makes sense so i'm going to move on now to the next fact and do you know that london by definition of the United Nations, London actually qualifies as one big forest. What? This is, Say what? Yes. So, by the definition of the United Nations, London the actually qualifies... United Nations as... has been to London then. Facts. No one in <laughs> the United Nations no has one been, been to there. London. But it qualifies as one big forest due to its density of trees it has per square mile. There are almost as many trees in London as there are people. So according to the UN definition, any area that has at least 20% trees is considered a forest. And trees, well, this is just over the definition, and trees in London cover around 21% of the land in London, making the city an urban forest. In fact, 8.6 million people are known to live alongside 8.3 million trees. Yeah, so just by 1%. Planting a a, tr a a tree, a small tree, within a certain amount of yardage, in every street, right, or in every like uh, yeah, a a high street, I think. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah. the law. Yeah, I think that's the case. And do you guys always find that in London, the better the area, the more trees there are and the more upkeep there are on the trees? Yeah. Like when I go down a nice street and it's, and you see this beautiful canopy of trees and they're really kept neat, not like too neat, but just tidy enough. I'm like, oh, this is a nice spot. This is a nice street. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. trees really give away. Yeah, paying for stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The council just it, it tells you all it needs to say. But yeah, so guys, you we uh, we all live and lived in a forest. Never fucking that is, it. That is a fun, that's a fun little fact. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't ever class it as a forest, but one thing that I can kind of see why they would say that is there are a lot of parks in London, like not, not just yeah. Greater London, but around London as well. There mm-hmm. are a lot of parks. Like every five minutes, you'll come across a different park. It might not be a huge park, but there will be a park somewhere. Do you not yeah. remember the, um, the log cabin I used to go stay in? Yeah, yeah. Cruise Hill. You guys come, yeah, yeah, Cruise Hill. Yeah, that, I was thinking of the name. Now, consider that is 20 minutes from my mum and dad's front door, a very urban place. And I'm now in the middle of literally nothing and nowhere in the dark in a forest, 20 minute drive. Mm. A very big difference of, of just that that view, even the horizon, man. It was completely different. So um, it doesn't surprise me that London has a lot of secret nooks and crannies, whether it would be man made stuff or nature that we just mm-hmm. haven't really thought about. Yeah, there's definitely land still to be built on that um, is being used as just like farming and stuff that uh, slowly yeah, but surely yeah, is dwindling. But when roads yeah. start getting built across these places, that's when it's like, oh, why have we got this big load of trees here? Let's cut them down. And, you know, I that's think there will always be a need for agriculture and people will own certain lands. But yeah, I think you're right, Chaz, in the sense of over time, they will probably be bought out or a lot of stuff will be brought in externally or outside of London to feed what it needs. And London will just be pure urban yeah there'll be one park for everyone rikesh will be there man <laughs> so did you know that over half of the london underground actually runs above the ground so it really should be called the overground right except we already have an overground but the world's so with alongside this, the whole, a lot of the underground is runs above above the ground. London is also home to the world's oldest underground rail network. Mm-hmm. It was where it was first really developed. That's why our undergrounds will look a lot older than others. There's a lot of things that we don't have as modernized. Like I remember when I went to Germany and they had Wi-Fi on the underground, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, but it was that now. I think. From in some places, in Uncle some, Uncle. far and few. Mm. But it still stems from it being such the oldest underground network. I mean, the world's oldest. That is kind of crazy. That's when you crazy, think about yeah. It. Um, awesome. So this was the first public transportation system to use steam engines, which was in the London Tube. On January 10th, 1863, the Metropolitan's line first segment from Paddington to Farringdon opened. Five years later, which it makes it 1868, a second underground line went into operation. Metropolitan number 23 is the oldest surviving steam locomotive, and it is on display at the London Transport Museum. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. And that is why a lot of London roads, undergrounds and trains do and don't make sense, because... Well, you can tell when a city's all been built around the same time or it's been modernized around the same time because they all kind of work in conjunction with each other. Whereas 
with our underground being built at certain times, cars being introduced at certain times, overground, under our public just layered, isn't system, it? it's layered. So it kind of doesn't always make sense, especially when one line's now being closed and now we're going to put this line instead and this direct line. Now it's the circle line, the metropolitan. So it it is a bit confusing, but I will say that as a Londoner, once you know it, once you know the underground overground by heart or just knowing the map, you can never get lost. Once mm-hmm. you know it, you can't unknow it. It's the most convenient you thing about London. It. I know it by looking. I can always decipher it, but I remember Akash and Danny were the two. They were the two. Mm-hmm. Akash would know the underground, what stop, where to go. And he's always been good at directions, even in foreign countries. And Danny could tell me the overground and even yeah. the times of the trains. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. They were both absolute whizzes at trains. It was so strange. <laughs> I think they still are. Yeah. Didn't Akash do a whole presentation on the underground for product design? On the He done it on the London Underground map. And map, how many yeah, times that was it's it. been redesigned according to its development. And it was really interesting because obviously... Yeah. It has to be developed and designed in such a way that you can in- interpret it. <laughs> it's with the color schemes and what you associate with it and, and how the map changes. And you can't really have a bird's eye view of the underground. You have to kind of understand the route it takes through their design plans and physically going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So did you know that Big Ben isn't actually called Big Ben? He's not actually big. This is what- this is where you gasp, bros. <gasps> so, so, thank you. Thank you. What? Oh, thank you. So, uh, tourists from all, all over the world come to stand on Westminster Bridge and take a selfie next to Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament. Unfortunately, not one of them ever leaves with a picture of it. The world famous landmark is actually named the Elizabeth Tower. Big Ben <laughs> is the name of the bell that oh, lives yeah, we... inside of the tower. Uh... Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I thought we all knew that. I, I, no, I had no idea. I thought Big Ben was oh. Big Ben. No, yeah. It's the I, bell. Think, I think I've heard that before, but then yeah. it just kind of got rid of that. Oh, that's common knowledge. I had no idea. Like every time I've the... ever seen the fucking tower, like the Big Ben Tower, I've always gone Elizabeth Tower. I've always had someone with me who's gone, you know, Big Ben was not actually the tower, it's the bell. I've literally been with someone every time like that. <laughs> and now <laughs> it's be my me! Dad, my granddad or a mate, someone's always said it. I thought it was just like, I thought everyone knew that. I had no, no idea. I had no idea. Mad. I had no idea before this point. Uh, I had no idea. I mean, now, not now like I'm... anyone's actually going to go around and change the name and start calling it the Elizabeth Tower. It, it's called the Big Ben. No one's going to call it otherwise. <laughs> yeah. It's always going to be called Big Ben. It's going to be on Big all the, like, the merchandise as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Elizabeth Tower. Elizabeth like, Tower. With Big it's, Ben inside of it. Is that the Queen Mother? Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be, isn't the it? Queen, the Queen's mother's mother. Oh. But the queen's mother wasn't the queen; she came from her father's as the king. Yes, and yeah, but why even... would she be Elizabeth the first? Because Queen Elizabeth, She's who not... just died, was Elizabeth the second. Yeah, her mum wasn't yeah, the so first. Her mom... It's referring. She was referring to the first zero. queen called Elizabeth. The prequel. Elizabeth okay. zero. There's, 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 there's no there's no ground zero. So when a person kind of goes to the thing, so if Charlie was the king now, it would be Charlie uh, King Charles the first. If there was no yeah. other Charles before him, for example, because they yeah, know so Elizabeth be a... Tower would be after Elizabeth, the Queen's mother, right? Yeah, Elizabeth's mother. 
No, 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 no. All right, fine. It, it has to be named after a queen. It's not going to be named after a so... strongly worded letter. Oh, yeah. Send it to Rishi Sunak so with all the I will, I will give a little snap into this because my mum loves the crown and the royals, and she not she kind of informed me all this stuff. So our queen that we have now was never meant to be queen. It was her dad became king only because his brother abdicated. So her uncle, our, the Queen Elizabeth that we knew had, and now Queen Elizabeth, her uncle from her dad's side was king. He abdicated, meaning I can't do this anymore. I'm, you know, making a conscious choice to leave. So then the, because it was, it was from the oldest son, so then the throne went to the next son, which was mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth's dad. This is the famous film with Will Ferrell. No, Colin Ferrell, sorry, when he's got the stutter, the king's speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's about him, and he is the dad of Queen Elizabeth. So the kings and queens and the, the line that we're following now was never truly meant to exist. We were meant to be following the brothers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So why why are our why is he king at the minute? Is that wrong? No, no, no. It's carrying on. Once he abdicated, it carries on. So if our king now abdicates, or the next king or the next queen, and they'll say, right, okay, it's not you know, it's not you. They can't be your children. Your children are old enough, or you don't have any children. We're going to move to your brother or sister, and it could change again in the future. Stupid. Well, None of it makes sound any sense. Like the way a monarchy should be run. <laughs> oh, you don't want to do it anymore? We'll just give it to your sister. Is that the way yeah. it should be run? So That's it's no longer the same bloodline at all, really. Like. Oh, and that, well, wasn't I mean, that the whole thing that tied it together was the royal bloodline yeah but it's it's mixed up enough dude i mean Why even the, queen, born royal? the queen's stupid the queen's um, mother Germans. now the, the so the queen that we had her mother was originally scottish she that's where balmoral comes from her castle in scotland is from where her mother bought it because she's originally from scotland so there's a scottish blood in her as well like there's going to be a, a plethora of mixed there's french and german as well like even the name of Windsor, the surname of Windsor only came about because either through World War One or Two, the British citizens were like getting distrustful of German sounding names. So they were like their advisors were like, You need to change your name because your real name was something German, guys. Change to something British so people will still support you. So that's where the name Windsor and Windsor Castle and so on and so forth came from. It, it was a it was a man made. Yeah, well, just make things up as they go. Yeah. Truly. Everything's I also made Googled up. Big Ben as well. It's uh, it was named after Elizabeth II. Oh, uh, f- is it, is... for a jubilee. So it oh, might have been called something different before. Maybe or maybe okay, okay. Thank you, thank you for adding that on. You're welcome. So, did you know that London's London's <laughs> London has more Indian restaurants than Mumbai? <laughs> Even though That's not surprising. Even though technically every restaurant in Mumbai, in Mumbai is an Indian restaurant, London has so many excellent restaurants that it far outweighs its culinary rival. So there are more restaurants in London, just in London alone, not in the UK, than in the whole of Mumbai in terms of Indian cuisine. Well, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like Yeah, population you know, as well. You know, people in Mumbai are cooking Indian food at their home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it's, actually it's a really a good point. <laughs> that is a yeah, very good point. Yeah, more fish and chip restaurants in Mumbai than the rest of all of London. But yeah, that's if there's a McDonald's in Mumbai, isn't that technically an Indian restaurant? Oh no, it's a McDonald's Ooh. in India. It's an American Semantics. franchise. Semantics. Mm. 
American <laughs> one of McDonald's. <laughs> and did you know that fish and chips was never originally English or British? It was Jewish. Yeah. Yes. Which uh-huh. Charlie's I like, for God's sake, I know all of this already. I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so English. I, I, knew this <laughs> I learned that from a Jamie Oliver TV show once. I'll never forget it. Me and I'm like, oh, didn't know that. <laughs> I don't think okay. England has any food like like that is a staple to us. We've just taken everyone else's. Before no, maybe there potatoes is, there for the UK for, for Ireland. Porridge, <laughs> yes. No, I think there what are certain win. like, like Ready certain bread. pies and puddings because a cultural food comes from circumstance, right? Even though we talk like I know my culture is like, oh, they make kebab and all that. Yeah, but that came from because my people were nomads. It's circumstantial, Yorkshire right? Pudding, maybe mm. Yorkshire pudding, for example, and stuff like that. Shepherd's so it's, pie. It's... Shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie. What's yeah, the um? What's the pie called? I forgot the name of it now. We call it a meat pie, or something, but it's actually got fruit in it. Mince pie. Mince, Mince pie. pie. Mm. But mince pie came from an element of poverty where people couldn't afford meat, so they would put other things in it. Ah. And that's where mince pie comes from. It's not actually so mint. It's obviously now we make everyone. It mixed fruit. You're mm. the OG trolls for mince pies. <laughs> hey, do you want a mince pie? <laughs> I did not try mince pie because I genuinely thought it was meat inside. I'm like, who the fuck wants a meat pie? Like, Mr. Kipling meat pie? No thanks, I'm good. I did Bro, yeah, wonder at one point. For so many years. A what meat is it, pie is basically a, a pasty, man. Oh, no, not pasty. a meat pie. What's a, what is in a mince pie? It's car- like, caramelized something, isn't it? It's like dried fruits. It's a fruit. Fruits and... It's a ty- type of fruit. I don't know what it is. Oh, I think okay. it, it hasn't actually got figs. any meat in it. <laughs> no, no, there's no meat. There's no meat at all. I didn't know. So, did you know that, and this is not going to be surprising for any of us who drive in London, traffic hasn't improved in London in 100 years. What? <laughs> no. If that you is, sure? you, if if you're going to, <laughs> if you're going by speed of movement across the city, vehicles driving through the city centre average a top of seven point four miles an hour, about the same speed as a horse and cart or cab. So, yeah, the pace wow. of traffic means that we move an average of just about seven and a half miles per hour, which is about the same of a horse and cart. It makes sense, and I'm wow. going to rant a bit because they, there's, <laughs> oh, only, there's only ever going to be more and more people on the road, and mm-hmm. they actually just they 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 can't add more roads, and they actually just take away roads instead. <laughs> they yeah. make them one way, make them one way as well. Yeah, make them yeah. bike only. They're even doing it in Enfield. They're um yes, they put yeah. up these like boxes with plants in them and say, Oh, you can't enter the road from this direction, or you can't enter the road unless you live there. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's the same like down by where my dad lives, close to Tottenham. Like before you could just like literally just drive into his road, like into his estate. Now you can't enter it from the most convenient side. You've got to like go all the way around. down past seven sisters and around. And it's just it's just mad. Yep. And if you drive, they put cameras there as well. Like they've got money yeah. on a council to yeah. put cameras Average up speed on cameras and 20 miles <laughs> an hour zones all over the place. That's how they push out. That's how they push out the lower classes. Eventually they expand London, push out the lower classes, emission zones. Like there uh, aren't they mm-hmm. around where you, you live now, Rick? Like yeah. the emission zones, they are right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, already spread if, out if, to there. Yeah. If you cost the, I can't remember what road it is, but I know it's like going to like Wood Green even. So like my mum works in Wood Green and she had to get her car checked for Les it's or you. It's M25 now, mate. 
Mm. M25, that's it. Thank yes. you, Fraze. And if you cross that line, I mean, the most annoying it, thing it, that it used heard... to be, it used to be the A406, you know, yes, but yes. now it yes. is literally Greater London M25. Yeah, I think the most annoying story that I heard obviously it doesn't really affect me. So, what Ed Hun now lives in South London, right? In his uh, on his mum's side of the family, and they live in such a nice spot, like they're like like half an hour away from like central London. They're on the edge. They, they live in Peckham, but it's like on, on the border. Mm. But the way, obviously within London, we know that there's a congestion charge. If you go to central, you have to pay, I think it's between like 15 to 20 pounds, depending on your vehicle. Mm-hmm. If you live within the congestion zone, you can pay like a monthly rate and that will account for you, you know, coming and going outside of that zone. They live on the edge of the zone, just outside. And because of the one-way systems of Central, so every time you drive back in from work to home, they have to pay the you congestion have to cross charge. It. Or you have to go oh, outside wow. of London from one way and go all external to come back, which obviously will take hours more. So right, they yes. can't pay it monthly. They have to pay every time just to go home and park the car. And oh. they no longer can park the car for free outside their house. They need a permit, which they have to pay for. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Shit. That's why in London they say don't drive public transport, and we do. Oh, Charlie's gone. Oh, Charlie's just Charlie. Just, uh, pull me up here, your, your disappointment. Wow. Even your phone was like, I know that was just your iPad, but it looked painful. Ow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, ow. Yes, it's crazy. Uh, do you want to yeah. cut so, for a quick ad break? We haven't done an ad break yet. We got a little bit of time before it cuts. Let's we do an ad ad break. Let's do an ad ad break. Let's do it. Yeah. Bring ad break. Londinium. <laughs> Hello there, mates and lassies. My name is Stuart, and this is Stuart on the Streets. Today, I'm on the streets of medieval Londinium to hear what people really think, and hopefully, to get you to visit. Hello there, mate. Sorry to stop you on your way, but I just wanted to know. What do you think of this great city you call home? Well, it's not bad. I mean, there's shit coming up off the Tower of Londinium. Top speed of the city is about 7.5 miles an hour. And I'm pretty sure I've got that new variant of the plague. But all in all, fucking love it here. (laughs) Home sweet home. Well, twist my fucking nips and call me Stuart. That sounds like a five-star review right there, mate. Let's go and find our next city visiting tempting review for you. Hey, hey, excuse me, mate. Sorry about that, but uh, I want to know, what's your name, what do you do, and what do you think of this great city? Hello there, my name is Gregory of Gregory's Pies. I originally moved to Londinium to start my new business in this hustling and bustling city. Which is? Well, it was selling some mince pies, but then I realised I can't really afford meat, nor not here in Londinium, and well, so I thought the next best thing to meat in a mince pie. Chicken? No! Fruit! Fruit? Yeah, fruit. Well, also a bit of fox, eagle's talons, chest of greyhound, body of a lion and tail of a wolf, you know, and Enfield! They roam these parts at dead of night, waiting, hunting, stalking their prey. Well, fuck me, But the one I found was roadkill, so no worry. Only one shilling. Well, 
if that ain't a bloody bargain, I don't know what the fuck is. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've heard about the sights, talked a little food. Now let's get see if we can fucking rustle up one more review just for you with me, Stuart on the streets. Hello there, geezer. I see you're working in some building in the art of good old Londinium. I wonder what you're doing and why. All right there, my name's Bob. And I'm here building this great monument to be the Elizabeth. <clears throat> right, so for those not in the know, word on the streets is that this will be the place of the biggest clock tower the world over. Big Ben. Uh, it's, it's the Elizabeth Tower, actually. Yeah, that's what I fucking said. Big Ben. Yeah, but it's called Elizabeth Tower. Listen, Bobby, right? Is your name Ben? Well, no. No? no? Is your name fucking Elizabeth? Well, of course not. Then yours the fucking name now, is it? It's not even being built in the right era. So, take your mallet and your chisel and get up those fucking apples and pears and do what you were paid for, Bob the fucking builder. Alright, alright. No need to be a twat about it. God, people these days. Ah, well, my lovely people, I think that's enough excitement for one fucking day. Come, visit and enjoy Londinium. A place of shite, traffic, questionable pies and a big-ass clock no one will ever truly know the name of. I've been Stuart and this has been Stuart on the Streets for BBC Fucking News. Welcome back from the ad break. Wow. Good ad break. What, what an ad. ad. What an advert. That was an expensive really advert. Or buy that. It was from London. That's why. Yeah. It was Eulers. <laughs> there was, there was congestion. It was like, do you want to continue with the podcast? Yes. Please enter details, debit card details now. <laughs> right. So did you know that within London, you can actually drive on the right side of the road, which is the wrong side of the road in the UK? Everyone knows that English people drive on the left-hand side of the road. However, there is one street in the UK where visitors can go back to their routes. Savoy Court is a road just off of the Strand on which drivers are required by law to drive on the right-hand side of the road. I think I've been there. It's just one strip of road. I did see there was a bit more of why, where, and how it kind of came from. It's something to do with like maneuvering traffic and bus routes and everything, but I didn't get too deep into that. But that road does exist. That's weird. Yeah, I think I remember it feeling weird. I'm pretty sure I drove through it for work. And it was that weird feeling. It was like, oh, I go on the right side. What the fuck? And I was like, proper like, how the fuck do I get back over to get off? Like, it was really weird. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think driving, I've driven on the other side of the road, which didn't feel as weird as I thought, only because of the car steering wheels on left-hand drive. So it kind of reflected what I was doing. If I'm driving right-hand drive, on the right side of the road, I'm like, am I about to go onto the pavement? How do I yeah, remerge? Yeah, yeah. your spacing on? is completely <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially when 99.9% of the other roads that you took to get there was on the left. So. Yeah. That's mad. I don't know how... Well, it's it's just poor planning again, isn't it? They've, they've piled on all these new things in London and then they thought, oh shit, this road doesn't work anymore. Tradition, <laughs> right, we'll think. keep it. Or it was perfect planning. It was like a... A little prank. They were like, hey, guys, 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 come in, come in. You know, I'm playing this road with this fruit in London. Yeah, but check this out, check this out. Left road, right side, <laughs> right hand drive. The accidents are going to be crazy. Wicked, <laughs> bruv. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Driving on the wrong side of the road. 
fucking horse and cart. Stuart, come here. I want to show you something. Put the fucking wall down. <laughs> right. The next fact is called, wait, which city are we talking about? Dum, dum, dum. Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. So the capital of the UK isn't the only city in the world called London. The mm-hmm. US has 10. Canada has one. France has one. There's even an asteroid called London as well. I want to live there. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. On the asteroid. What's London like? It's not bad. Not much atmosphere, but it's all right. It's cold. <laughs> <Hey>! Space jokes. <laughs> Oh, there's ten. There's ten in the US. There are ten different states. Cities. Not states. Cities. Yeah, ten I mean, like diff- not different... ten states. London, man, that would be so pissed. Different London, <laughs> London cities in different states. I'm assuming. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. Especially because obviously, you know, the UK, uh, England sort of colonized the US. There's a lot of names that transfer over. I mean, I know, like, hmm. for example, I remember when Google Maps first came out, and I was like, Edmonton, and it popped up in Canada, and I was like, oh, Canada, yeah. It can't be true. Like, I was, my mind was blown. But yeah, London has, uh, France has one as well. How would you pronounce London in France? London. No, no. <laughs> Everyone, that's what I was waiting for. It all. I tripped you up. The racist card is. Oh, London. Ah, <laughs> uh, we've lost our French listeners. <laughs> so, do you know? And I know we know some of this, but I, I had to make. I had to look into it. Do you know that there are some streets in London with derogatory names? Uh, Blackboy yeah. Road or something. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there, I think that's no, literally in was, Tottenham. <laughs> in, 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 oh my God! Haringey, there was used to be called Blackboy Lane. Hmm. and something else and they've changed it because that's what, what my mum and dad used to refer to because that's what they, they, they grew up in like Haring Gaines towards Tottenham and they were like oh those days have changed now mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily that type of names I was thinking of <laughs> so more than 20 streets in London have names that are extremely sexual provocative mm. and provocative and at the same time humorous these streets have very suggestive and explicit names that express what they were renowned for so they were connected to their sort of uh the purpose of its space, if you I will. See. A few streets include Helmet Row, The Butts and Upper Butts, Newington <laughs> Butts, White Knobs Way, oh, no. Copping Close, oh. Oh. Fanny Hands Lane, <laughs> Bird in the Bush Road, oh, Clitheroe, Clitheroe Road, or Clitheroe Road, depending on how you pronounce it. King's Butts, Mellon Road, Ogle Street, Cumming Street, Swallow uh, Street, oh. Hooker's Road, Cock Pond, and Cock Lane. Rikeshi's face. <laughs> wow. Oh, screenshot of this. What? That's Rikeshi crazy. baffled. Have you never known that? Like, you ever seen it on like online when people do like the, the the tour of all the like the random streets names of 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 England of the UK in general like right yeah man there's loads of that there was like Hooker's Lanes and Slut Road and all that shit like it's hilarious. yeah there's a gay street up and down it yeah what about Ho Lane Ho Lane Ho Lane Ho Lane all right yeah okay <laughs> that's I where I recognize I don't recognize the other ones. 
<laughs> the guy was there trying, yeah. trying to think of a, a downstream. <laughs> oh, Charlie. Oh, no. <laughs> he just got cancelled. <laughs> so, alongside all of these infamous names, which some of them have changed, some of them are still there, um, and obviously reflecting what they were actually made for, did you know that in London you can actually visit Benjamin Franklin's house? Yeah, that Benjamin Franklin. Yes, London has the only, only surviving home of Benjamin Franklin from across the globe. Excuse me. This is where Franklin lived on the very eve of the American Revolution and one place you can now visit when in London. Based at 36 Craven Street, it is a proper gem and one of the unusual London facts. Lots of people don't know it actually exists in the city. In America, to my knowledge, they knocked it down for modernization and development. So it only survives in London. Wow, that's oh, really cool. Well, How many houses did he have? I honestly, mate, I wouldn't know. But um, if this is the only surviving house, he probably had more, depending on where he was coming and going from. But this is the only surviving residence home that he had. It's close to Embankment. Charing you Chris. can Google it. It is 36 oh. Craven Street, or just type in Benjamin Franklin's house in London. Man, Next to Trafalgar that's Square. Really cool. Crazy. Yeah. Next to Trafalgar Square. Well, there you go. Now, this is a little fact that we're going to know if you've watched a little show called Sherlock with Benjamin. Benjamin? <laughs> Benedict oh, yeah. Cumberbatch. Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. Franklin. Yeah, classic. Do you know that there are two fake houses? in Paddington that were built to hide the tube line. Numbers 23 and 24 Leinster, Linster, Linster Gardens might look like normal houses at first glance, but in reality they're fake. The houses were built as a facade to cover the unsightly metropolitan line, which currently pops out behind it. And this was in the show of Sherlock when he goes to meet uh, what's his name? Watson's wife-to-be and he finds out she's an assassin. Mm-hmm. And there's two fake houses, and they go. Those houses are real in Paddington. They exist, and they were built for that exact reason. You see what I mean, though? Like, in, oh. in that's in Paddington, where they had that straight little fence <laughs> with the trains, and thought, "Oh, it's too ugly. Let's build an entire fake house to cover it up so it looks nice because it's Paddington." If that was Enfield, Edmonton, would that have happened? Nah, fuck it, leave it. Nah. Someone graffitied on it. Exactly. Someone would have graffitied on it, or someone would have tried to break in and then fallen through a door or window on the other side, fall onto the tracks and died, and then there would have been a massive big thing about it. Mm -hmm. For like two days. Yeah. For a couple of days before the next big thing happens. Paddington. So, for the last fact, we are the last fact of London. The shard is made from over 11,000 panes of glass. Love it or hate it. The Shard is the tallest building in London. Constructed of over 11,000 panes of glass, it's the perfect place to soak up some fabulous views of the city. What do you guys think of the Shard? We've got a lot of glass buildings, if I may say. We've got the freaking Gherkin, which is all glass. We've got um, what this is, uh, the Shard itself. And we've got that one that I call the popcorn box. It looks like a popcorn box. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know what it's called. A walkie, was the walkie-talkie building people nicknamed sort it or of. something? But like the I was curve. from a personal sense. I was in university around the time the shard was being made, and I had to pass it every like every time I'd done a journey uh, through the city. 
Um, so I kind of got to see that being built of that of that mystery of what is this new thing and what mm. what is this weird shape. Yeah, I do remember when it was in construction. That was fun. Like it just kept going, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, it's just a big turd. <laughs> pointy turd a very pointy um, sharp painful turd. a good one i mean that's that's a good poop that's a good one you can see it was clean cut i've got no Made of glass as well <laughs> in. i've got no major yeah. problem with the stuff in london the build like i like the scenery i like the view i think the only thing that i've never liked and never understood was the was it boris's olympic thing the one that looks like a roller coaster rail roller coaster track crashed into each other that red... red thing in stratford oh yeah, yeah in stratford that, that contraption i'm like what is that and it was meant to be yeah. like the olympics in london monument yeah like, i don't, don't understand that. that you have seen it mate trust me you have when you say you go back for god's sake oh, yeah. as soon as you google, google it, it you'll know exactly what it is yeah. what is it boris's i thought that was like a, a roller coaster stratford or, or olympic like no that no there, no it? that's like a monument that's like to show something it, it, it looked like someone was blindfolded and punched a bit of clay so much i don't know about it looks ridiculous yeah, Boris. that's I the worst I don't mind, thing. Boris, Boris, Boris. I, I don't mind the shot. It's no, like, like the gherkin and like there's a, I think it's a town hall or something. That's kind of like a golf ball. Um. Okay. You know, you don't know the one. It's it's like it looks like a glass golf ball, and it's just like those, those buildings like that. I just feel like they're just let an architect have is have a load of fun. Something onto it, or is it just a glass ball? It it's a it's a building. Uh, yeah. Let me see. Well, I, I imagine so. Is that in the is that in England? Is that in London? That yeah, big, in London. Um, LED yeah. orb thing, the LED one. No, that oh. no, that's no, that's no, no, no. The, 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 yeah, the, the famous LED one. They've they've got it in other countries. Yeah, Vegas. Never. Oh yeah, Vegas. Um, I saw one online of Turkey as well, but I don't think it's around orb one. I think it's his own version. I think it's. But just... I know the one. <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, that one! I don't know. Oh, I was yeah. that. That's on the Thames. Yeah, that's next it's, to that's a weird thing. Like that museum section outside is next to a pub I used to go to quite a lot. Nice fish and chips there as well. Yeah. I don't know what that building that. is though. Is it just a museum or is it? I think it's, it's got a city, museum. It's in city it. town hall, but probably oh, probably got historical oh, things in there. Yeah, you can re- you oh, can read the big hall. history plaques outside, like on the mm. ground level. It's a really nice view, actually. I must admit. So, boys, now we move on to the second and last section of this potty. Now we're going to take this history lesson and focus it just a little bit more. Because now we've done something for them, for the listeners. Now we're going to take a little bit for us. Hmm. I'm going to take on a little journey of facts and history of Enfield. Of where <laughs> we... This is where, just double confirm, we were all born in Enfield, right? Yeah. Uh, Edmonton. Yeah. Tottenham. Middlesex Hospital. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. I mean, we live, we, are, obviously we live in Edmonton, but now Enfield. I was born on a helicopter. Okay. Going over about three different places. <laughs> Charlie was born in three different regions at the same time. It's like, well, my head's from Enfield, but my shoulders are from, you know, Essex. By the time my legs come out, I was in Dubai. I don't know. I was Fuck in it. Dubai. <laughs> South, of it, or South Africa. That's a long, long trek. That's a long birth. That's a long birth. I'm a tall boy. So. For, for Enfield. So the history of Enfield, a town in North London, dates back centuries and its origins are closely tied to, to its geographic location and historical developments. So we're going to take a little brief, keyword is brief, history. Early settlement. 
Enfield's history as a settlement predates the written record. The area was originally covered by dense forests inhabited by early human communities. It was situated on the edge of what is now as Epping Forest, providing access to resources from both the forest and the nearby River Lee. So obviously, as humans, we settle where there is natural resources, right? So you've got mm-hmm. your trees for water, cover materials, and you've got your obviously the river leaf or a plethora of things of water. Of what? Fish. Oh, I, I thought you shushed, but all I heard was shh. I was like, oh, oh sorry, no, sorry. I said and fish. Like, sorry. Oh, fish, yeah, yeah, fish, fish. <laughs> I was like, you were like, shh, fuck up. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. That's it, said fish. Fish. <laughs> shh. shh. <laughs> So that's how it was kind of so it because there was it was before sort of predation the written record, people kind of know when the name and town was started to be established, but no one really knows how and who really established it per se. Mm. So moving a bit more to the Anglo-Saxon period, Enfield's history in recorded documents now begins in this Anglo-Saxon period. Um if someone could look up the dates, I kind of have not written that down. Nineteen twenty three. No, nope, that's definitely not right. That would have been a hundred years ago. No, uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie. Um, quick so. Google. I'm using Yahoo. Sorry, like 1066, 10 times. Uh, the seventh century. So the seventh century is the Anglo-Saxon period around that time. So now in the seventh century, then. Um. Oh, so now this is when Enfield. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of touching upon that point. So it is around this Anglo-Saxon period, the 7th-ish century, that Enfield's history is now in recorded documents. It is believed that the name Enfield may have originated from, and obviously I'm not going to know how to pronounce this, Enafeld, or Ianafeld, E-A-N-A-F-E-L-D, which referred to a clearing or a feld where lambs, which were uh, pronounced Ean, were raised. So a feld, in a clearing for lambs so almost mm. like a pen or almost like a little farmyard but that's like what the terminology was so this suggests that agriculture particularly animal it says husbandry which i do not actually know what the hell that is What's was riding? early it is it yeah it's in the olympics oh animal husbandry i thought people were marrying animals <laughs> uh, was an early economic activity in the area. It was husbandry. Come on, man. If I said wife dream, you'd be like, what wife? Are you married? I'm like, no. No, I like but the I sheep. Horse. Okay? <laughs> all right, Charlie, let's put that down. All right, mate? Okay. I love you really, mate. I actually didn't know that was for horses, uh, for horse riding. Okay. So the this really looks like Doomsday Book, but it's not. It's Domesday Book. So the Domesday Book, which is a detailed survey of England completed in 1086, mentions Enfield as a settlement with a mill and a population of around 200 people. It was a rural community with an uh, agrarian economy. So again, it kind of feeds into that settlement of natural resources, animals, agriculture, Agriculture. husbandry, and Mm. 200 people. It's like nothing literally for Enfield. Moving on to the medieval period, not evil. Medieval, medieval, you know, midway, midway. Um, Enfield remained a small village and was known for its farming and agricultural activities. The area's proximity to London and its access to the River Lee made it a suitable location for water mills, which were used for grinding grain and other industrial purposes. 
So, you know, Enfield, especially a bit more RNs, does have a strong um, industrial sort of areas. And I think that has really continued. And obviously it's touching on the water mills and natural resources again. And it's sort of the connection it was starting to make to London is proximity. So you can kind of see how London would one day encapsulate it, even though at this point it's just a tiny little village. Hmm. Ah, we're going to our favourite person. We're going to Tudor and uh, Stuart, period. What, Stuart? Tell us about it, Stuart. What, Stuart? So, uh, yeah, my name's Stuart. I'm going to tell you a bit of something about my period. Not not like that. (laughs) Don't laugh. Oh, not again, Stuart. Oh, dear. I'm I'm really sorry, mate. I've had the story before, uh, Stuart. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> listen mate you're gonna be more fucking sensitive all right so enfield's history right became more closely tied to royalty right and the monarchy during the tudor and Stuart. Stuart, my, my period my period time right henry the eighth right at a palace El, 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 elding palace in enfield the really? palace was yeah listen let me finish bruv all right the palace was used by various monarchs including elizabeth the first and it became a hub for hunting and leisure activities. Shit. I didn't know there was a, I didn't know I did. there was a freaking palace in, in Enfield at one point. I bet that's where Pearson is. That's where Pearson is. That's where Toyota Rust is. Oh my. That thing has been rebuilt so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever lasts there. That was really weird in our Toys R Us. There was all these toys with just like a boar's head on the wall. <laughs> and, and Stuart. Stuart was just there like, welcome, welcome to fucking Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did wonder yes. why in the Enfield Town that bit's called Palace Gardens. If it's got anything to do with it, maybe it might have oh. been the grounds. Mm. I would imagine though a palace in Enfield would be a listed building. I know, I, I know mm. Enfield is big, like in comparison now. So there's areas that we don't necessarily go by very often. But E L S Y N G Palace L L Zing L L Zing Singing Palace. I don't know. Never heard of it. Mm. Where's Forty Hall? Could- Forty Hall is a listed building, but that's not a palace. It's not got like some big structure on it, though. Like, uh... yeah, yeah, it's got the house. It's got the house. The listed oh, is that building. not a palace? Is it not? Technically no, a palace? no, 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 no. I think that was not royalty. That was definitely something upper class, and it's a museum now, which you can go. If maybe someone can uh, Google Elzing Palace, it would be just out of curiosity. The E L Y S I N G. No, L's. So E L S Y N G Palace in Enfield. Who's going to Google it? But everyone's on it. Everyone's heads down Googling stuff. I love well, it. Was, I was in 40 Hall. Oh, was that it's right? Was the end. Yeah. It's the first thing that's come up, 40 Hall. No, no. you can't see it. it yeah, can't, it is. No, it's a bit blurred. Now on the is grounds of 40 Hall in Enfield, North London. Look at me. I'm a fucking whiz kid. <laughs> Damn, son. Okay, I was wrong. Well, oh, what yeah. You know what, mate? Right. I'm no, the host no, now. I know it. Point for you. Stuart, Stuart demolished you. it. Woo! So it was demolished then. It, yeah. was, oh. it was on those grounds. It was demolished. Just no, but Chaz, you, you were right. Guess. Mad. I was like, okay. yeah, but when you think Makes of like sense. a big open space at Enfield, you're like, Forty Hall, right? Big, big, yeah. big greenery. Yeah. So now we jump to the 19th century, which is the industrialization of Enfield which this saw significant changes in Enfield's landscape and economy due to the Industrial Revolution, as Fraser mentioned before. The arrival of the railway in the mid-19th century facilitated the transportation of goods and people, leading to urbanisation and the growth of Enfield as a commuter town for London. So London was what a lot of towns and other villages and 
I don't know, smaller areas after London now where people just live on the outskirts so they can have the benefits of the country and prices and economy and style. But now you can commute to London and work in London. Mm -hmm. And also they can build loads of really small houses next to each other and keep all the workers there. Yeah. Well, a lot of the houses, to my understanding, in, in Enfield was developed like a lot of industrial places, because there were a lot of places would be like, right, you know, we're developing a company and we need all these types of workers and we've built houses. Can yeah. you come? A lot of the houses in Tottenham, Haringey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were known as like lower class houses. And when we compare them now, they are massive houses and very solid houses. Mm. Uh, but they were built for the workers to, so they could stay close to where they worked by the company Man. themselves. Ads don't work like that anymore. Yeah, no. It's a shame. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of works like in some places it would be like, you know, uh, you know, if you're willing to relocate, we might help you with transportation or, or, I don't know, finding housing. Like there's 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 elements of companies moving you from even one country to another where they can kind of help. But no, it's not really locally done like, like that anymore. as it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it couldn't work. There's no way. No. So now we move on to the last little portion of this brief, and I will forever emphasize that, brief. Uh, history of Enfield. And we, now we touch on the modern Enfield. So Enfield continued to grow and develop throughout the 20th century with the expansion of residential areas and development of commercial and industrial sectors. Today, Enfield is a diverse and vibrant part of North London with a mix of historic sites, modern uh, amenities, and a thriving local community. Enfield's history reflects its evolution from a rural and agri agrarian community to a modern urban centre with a rich historical heritage. Its proximity to London and its role as a community town have contributed to its growth and development over the centuries. So when that is true, like when that first train was built there in the mid-19th century, they were like, oh, there's now a connection between Enfield and London. That set the path for Enfield's growth and encapsulation into London from Mm -hmm. that point almost because it became now relevant. People in London said the word, oh, where are you from? I'm from Enfield. And it introduced those two worlds just a little bit more together. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And whenever it's communities great. expand, like you just got to have more housing, more schools, more shops. It just blows more up from there, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 More parks. I mean, parks, Enfield is big, right? It's diverse. You can have some of the best top-notch areas in Enfield and some of the worst areas in Enfield. Almost to the point it's almost like one of the worst places in London sometimes. I'm not shitting on it. I just it's just a very wide I don't know, difference in the municipalities uh, yeah. of Enfield. So uh it's one place but uh, an amalgamation of many different puzzle pieces. For sure, for sure. I think it did actually get like worst borough, like out of fourteen other boroughs. Once I saw it like somewhere, yeah. <laughs> I know that Edmonton is one of the worst areas in London, and it's kind of sad because when we were Middlesex, and especially before that point, it was a very nice village. It was a very clean area, mm-hmm. and Edmonton has now become the so obviously the Enfield borough and obviously it has its council and they they kind of split the money up depending on the area well if you compare Edmonton something like Southgate mm. the money is going in very different directions Edmonton was the lowest area borough of Enfield that was getting the lowest amount of money yeah, so it would it would oh. equate to being a very uh, a very rough area mm. that's where I grew up and that's ends, where I grew up the Edmontons 
you were more closer to Edmonton than I was. I would cross the road and be at Enfield and cross the road and be at Rikesh's front door. And then down the road would be Fraser and then go in the opposite direction. I would get towards Edmonton Green, which would be towards your end, Chaz. Yeah. I think you were, probably, you were probably on the worst road in Edmonton, Charlie. Well, <laughs> off, road. Off, of, off of it anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah it was, it was, it was, I'll never forget that. Where'd you live, mate? One Kingsmead Avenue. Shut the fuck <laughs> yeah, up. Bullshit. I literally We went to school <laughs> at Kingsmead and it was like the most like most baitest, most obvious like lie ever. Like, where'd you live? One, One Kingsmead, Kingsmead Avenue. Avenue. Bullshit. Yeah, and then we visited <laughs> and he was actually telling the truth. <laughs> I love that house. But it, yeah, it was a shit old area. It wasn't good. I have a fact I... about Enfield. Go for it. Smash it up. Which out. I don't know if it's a fact, so you might want to Google it. But I'm pretty sure it was the first ever... It had the first ever ATM. There we go. There we go. So that is actually one of my trivia facts. I'm going to jump to it because Charlie said it. Oh. It's not just, the, not just one of the first. It was the world's first ever ATM machine. Yeah. Or just ATM. What? It was the world's first. So in Enfield Town, there was a Barclays Bank, which we're all aware of, and there was a golden, they've kind of painted it all gold, ATM. The Barclays Bank, Bank branch in Enfield was the first place in the whole world to have an ATM or cash machine. The machine was officially declared open by Reg Varney, a Londoner, TV, excuse me, TV actor and personality, famous for his lead role in the comedy series On the Buses. If you've watched On the Buses, it is awesome and funny. Mm-hmm. So he opened it up. The grand opening was in June 1967, and this moment in history changed the way we make purchases forever. This location now is marked with an English heritage blue plaque. That was a staple nice. of the world of the direction. Nice. Of the I didn't know it was the world. I, I thought it was. I didn't. I didn't know it was the world. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Same. Same. That's crazy. That's sick. Is that, that why they painted it gold? Because that's yeah. the first ATM. In the yeah. world, that's fucking yeah. mental. Yeah. Jesus Christ! It, I mean, I, I, it can't still work on the same systems. They must have updated it and stuff, right? The internals are different. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure because you wouldn't want to, entirely. though, would you? You wouldn't want to change it about if it's the first. You'd it just, just leave it. It was just a little like... kid in the wall. It's an old man. <laughs> it, it, it was Stuart. It was Stuart. Just goes. Would you like, sir? Give me a fucking card. What's this? Plastic. <laughs> Don't know what it means. The, the ten is his six. Just a bag of money that they give to him. <laughs> He's just there with his pennies. Like, okay. One, two, God three. Ah, oh, lost count. Oh, <laughs> drop the bag. Oh. <laughs> just under ten minutes to go now. Okay. So, uh, what do you... so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up with some Enfield facts. <laughs> So this was actually technically already mentioned for London. So Queen Elizabeth's Hunting Lodge in Epping Forest, which was originally built for Henry VIII in 1543, it served as a grandstand for royal hunting parties. Hunting home? Not now, surely. I don't know. You can Google that. Probably not now, no. (laughs) You can Google it. Enfield Town Market. So Enfield's market has a long history, which we've all been to, dating back to 1303 when it was granted a market charter. So people kept congregating there for long enough. And it was like, right, you got the official stamp, you are a market. And that's from the 13, early 1300s. Wow. And we've been, we've all been there. We've all eaten mm-hmm. or drank or just walked around. Yeah. Trent Park. So Trent Park served various purposes throughout history, including again a, as a hunting ground for Henry the Fourth 
and as a prisoner of war camp during World War II. How fun! <laughs> oh, God. I'm not going to be going back there anytime soon, am I? <laughs> That's why it's so haunted. I was just like, God, people moaning Trump Park. There was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, that was so, the people. Touching on to what Charlie said of Forty Hall. So Forty Hall in Enfield's, this is part of um, Enfield's historic houses, Forty Hall and Middleton House Gardens. This is a grade one listed Jacobean mansion. Forty Hall is known for its stunning architecture and beautiful grounds. I don't know what era or period Jacobean was. Jacobean? Jacobean? Sounds a bit French. I think it's kind of the same as Anglo Saxon section. Possibly, because I know like, like Edwardian Victorian. Oh, fifth Fun century. Phrase. Even. Yeah, give me the facts, bro. Give me the facts alone. So, this is innovation and industry, the Royal Small Arms Factory of Enfield. You may have heard of the Lee Enfield, a famous rifle and the main firearm used by the British Empire military forces in the 1900s. It was the British Army's standard rifle from 1895 until 1957, but was also used for many years after. World War I versions of the rifle are often referred to as the SMLE, the short magazine Lee Enfield variant. And the name Lee Enfield comes from the designer of the rifle's bolt system, James Paris Lee, and the factory in which it was designed, the Royal Swarms, the Royal Small Arms Factory in, you guessed it, Enfield. Mad. Legendary place. Enfield. That's awesome. Them, them, place. That, yeah. that gun is on like some Call of Duties as well. So it's actually yeah. crazy to think that actually came from Enfield that we grew up in. How mad. Yeah, Mate, we had the world's first the world's first cash machine and ATM. I think that's that still was big, man. Like that changed that changed how needed, we do banking. They needed to protect it with guns. <laughs> Lots of guns. Lots of guns. So, did you know that the world's the world's first solid state circuitry color televisions were man- manufactured by Ferguson at the now closed plant in Enfield? No way. Mm. So again, another big staple, having all of this industrialism and all these staples of our lives, of our world, of the, depending on what be the military and the small, uh, the short firearms, uh, the freaking ATM, and now the world's first solid state color televisions were manufactured in Enfield. Hey, we should have just wakundered, you know what I mean? And just like... <laughs> 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 off. The world. Let's, just, let's just evolve here, like, because we're rapid. We literally made TVs and, and money machines. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. This is cool. And guns. We we developed and guns. It and, it yeah. and guns. We could have we could have designed it, made our own money with it, and protected it all within the same place. Mate, literally. Should have shut off from the rest of the world. Can you imagine? I'm telling you, I had more We'd fun and surprise with the Enfield <laughs> facts than I did with the London facts in some sense. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, we're getting towards the end now. So this is called Up to North. So in Roman times, Ermine Street connected Enfield to Londinium, named for London back then. This great Roman road stretched all the way up to York in the north of England through what we call now the A10 in Enfield, which I am aware of. We went on a school trip with history and we learned that the A10, a very Roman road built very strong and very straight, was built by the Romans. Yeah. Yeah. takes it literally what? from north to south oh. or south to north. 
So the A10 is a major road that runs from London to Kings Lynn in Norfolk. In Roman times, this route was part of Ermine Street, a major Roman road that connected London to Lincoln and York. Ermine, Ermine Street was one of the, of the key north to south routes in Roman Britain, and over time, parts of it evolved into modern roads, with the A10 being one of them. So obviously, it's got broken down into segments, but it's still one long road. A bit. Yeah, yeah. A10 runs to fucking Norfolk. Are you taking? Yeah, I had to yeah. think about that as well, and then I remembered. Yeah, it actually does. That's we had the we went up the A10 for most of it when we went to Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And think about how far Crazy. Norfolk felt. Yeah. So the A10, in, um, so Ermine Street, which the A10 in London follows, was constructed by the Romans during their occupation of Britain. The road was part of a broader network of Roman roads built for military, administrative, and economic purposes. A rat. The construction of these roads occurred over several centuries, while the Roman occupation of Britain starting in the first century AD. So it obviously took this road a considerable amount of time to be fully built. It wasn't in one specific space of time. Crazy. Yeah, I imagine so the like they time. built along it and then settled and then built along and then yeah, all these absolutely. Yeah. That come off in it. Made more sense, yeah. Well, of course, generations. I mean, if, if it's like saying they built the train track from, let's say, Enfield to London, I'm sure they thought, well, if we can stop the train halfway, maybe we can develop something else or put another stop there. You know, because yeah. now you can go to Enfield and trade routes are opening up. So. The street itself from the Roman period actually goes back to the stages of the first and second centuries is when it was being uh, developed and designed. The roads were engineered with a focus on durability and efficiency, as the Romans did, facilitating the movement of troops and goods across the Roman province of Britannia. Crazy industrial. Yeah. yeah, so again, it's sort of saying that the exact timing of the Romans' construction may vary along different sections. So obviously, as even what you guys were saying and Fraser was saying, they would walk, build up to a certain point, possibly settle, even temporarily, and then continue until they got to yeah. their extensive space. I feel like it's it's probably really benefited Enfield being to the north of London. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the closest yeah. portion to the to the north of England, north yeah. of, of the country. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's it. Segway. They get, they get all of the bits that come between. But it's but it's also, strategically speaking, one of the most dangerous places. Because if there was a North versus South, Scotland versus England, when they get to London, the first door they're going to knock on is North London. Yeah. So again, South London was pretty more safe. Mm. That's true. That's true. true. To a certain but extent. I don't know any stories of it happening, but I don't know. We had TVs and had color guns, TVs and so. guns and stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like we were living in the, the future. They like, don't look come at from the north, look at the run TV, into our force fields. <laughs> Right, boys. Now we move towards our last couple of facts. <laughs> I feel like the amount of times you say right, and this is where last we move on to one. the last, and then it's like trivia. It's where we couple. move on to the last couple facts. This is where we move on to the last question. <laughs> you know, I feel like if I keep saying the word last long enough, we're going to finish quicker. I love it and I enjoy it, but like, I'll be honest with you, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I've recently got a back injury. And I'm oh. in so much pain right now that I need to stand and stretch. I've been needing so. to take a piss for the last 30 minutes, mate. Because this so. is not about you, all right? Put your oh, shit kick away, okay? out of the room. Kick and say another. Right, no, no potty, no potty. <laughs> I've copyrighted it. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't establish this. <laughs> copyrighted it real quick. Copyright it really what? quickly. I spoke to Edison. I got my shit on lockdown, all right? Okay. 
So now we're going to touch on Enfield. Enfield's how Enfield sort of uh, how do I phrase this? It's not even got anything written down. It's just, it's no, I do, I do, I do, I do. I just have to scroll up to find it. it. I'm just intentionally <laughs> trying to drag it out. Right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One so too many finals. Enfield's shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> Enfield's famous and well known. So people that are famous and well known born within Enfield. David so Beckham. For, nope. Nope, not not, nope. not taking any, <laughs> not, not taking anything like that. Nope, not David Beckham. So okay. Rachel Wise, shut the hell up. <laughs> I will don't make, I'll get fucking Stuart out, bro. I will get Stuart out, and he'll put you in your place. Okay, so Rachel Wise, uh, the name sounds familiar, which is the the woman from the Mummy. Oh yeah, W E I S S W E I S Z. Uh, oh. She was born in Westminster, but she grew up in Enfield. And she's appeared in films such as The Constant Gardener and The Mummy. Hmm. Yeah, I like her. I fancied her. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's not ready for here, mate. Put it away. Put put it... Oh, it's out. It's all out. Okay. Sorry, guys. BRB. Look, it's Big, it's big Ben. Leave <laughs> <laughs> oh, the man. camera on as well. Why not? <laughs> oh. Anyway, there is uh, David Jason. So this is a veteran actor known for his roles in classic British sitcoms like Only Fools and Horses and Open All Hours, who was born in Edmonton, which is now obviously a part of the borough of Enfield. Yeah, Del Boy. Fucking Del Boy. And Rodney. But not Rodney. That's Nicholas Lindhurst. Yeah. You know Del Boy? You know Only Fools and Horses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who yeah, doesn't know Only Fools? I don't know why did he was born in Ed- and, Edmonton? And Open All say? Hours. Edmonton. He was, yeah, he oh, was uh, born in Edmonton. God damn. This person I didn't know as well. This is another one I was excited about. And I mentioned to my family, they're like, yeah, we knew that. I was like, no one told me. Was the legendary entertainer and television presenter spent part of his childhood in Edmonton, Enfield, which is Bruce Forsythe. Oh, cool. We got Brucey. This one I knew. Um, so the renowned and Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter spent some of her early years in Southgate, which was Amy Winehouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. who went on to live uh, in Camden. Yeah. Absolutely. Next person is Nick Hornby, which is a popular author and essayist known for his works like High Fidelity and About a Boy, was, was born in Red Hill. I don't know. I know the names and I know the picture when I see it, but I don't know all these people, but I just kept it, you know. What was it again? Sorry. Nick Red Hornby. Hill. Yeah, no, I don't know. No. Uh, number one is Neil Morrissey, which is the actor known for his roles in Men Behaving Badly, which I loved. And oh, as the yeah. voice oh, yeah. of the builder, I think it's the blonde guy, spent part of his childhood in Enfield. Oh, cool. Bob the Builder. Sound. Yeah. Nice. He can fix it. He can. Yes, he can. He can, Charlie. <laughs> can he fix he was the, the early Obama. heart? Yes, he can. <laughs> For God's sake. Get out. Get can out. Fix, can he fix our economy? <laughs> oh, no, Bob's, no, Bob's got that's, missing. That's too, that's too big for Bob. <laughs> And uh, the last celebrity that I'm going to mention is Tessa Joel, or Joel, not really sure. The late Baroness Joel, Joel was a British politician who served in various government positions, including as Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport. She was born in Marylebone, Le- Mary but later lived in Enfield. Hmm. 
Marrow bone. Marlebone, you mean? Marlebone. Marley bone. Marley bone. I have oh, really changed you, mate. Scotland has changed you. <laughs> no, mate. That was no. That was the foreigner in me. That's me reading off it off the Monopoly board. Like Marley bone. Mom's like, yeah, I'm like, right, Marley bone. bone. Marley <laughs> Real metropolis. How do you pronounce it? Marley bone. Marley bone. Okay, I'm sorry, man. My brain. It says Mary. Okay, it's French. Marley bone. Marley bone. And. I mean it this time, the last fact and the last bit of this whole thing is I didn't, I didn't even really realise this, right, that Enfield has a coat of arms. It has a logo. It does. It does. Obviously, we see the little, you know that little red dragon? Mm. Well, that red sort of thing? It's part of an ensemble that they've just simplified for Enfield. So it's, I'm going to show you a picture of it in a moment. So the origin and meaning of it, so the arms were granted on August 15, 1966, the green, silver, and blue wavy horizontal bars. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to flip this camera around for you guys. That's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Is that a Can reindeer and a jumper coming out the top? It's like a reindeer. It's like a lion and sort of like a fox creature, but it's the fox one that we've kept to now. Yeah. Uh, fox, is... fox holding a fox shield. The fox is yes. on the shield. There's a reindeer on it. Yeah. So the it's, it's that particular up. animal that we've stuck to. It's not a reindeer, bro. There was a reindeer coming out the top. You just said it. Not a reindeer. It's uh, uh, like a stag or a doe. Why is there it a doe coming a, out the top? It doesn't <laughs> have a red nose. Question. I don't know. Bro, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was a hunting ground. People hunted this shit. They were like, All right, put its head on the arms because I've already got it on my wall. Oh, so it's I just, sad. I'm just looking sad. at the, I'm looking at a stag, and the and the, and the stag is like, "What's up?" And then the line, a blue is, jumper, the line is like, "What's up?" And then the fox is like, "Can you guys just be serious guys, about this? Please, can you chill? Please, can you chill?" Try... No, this this is I'm on the shield, asking... and you're not. Jesus Christ! The... No, it's not the shield. <laughs> this is the fox asking his mates, "Can we just hang this up on my wall, right? Please, I, I've had this done." Right, can we just hang it up? And then the guy's like, ah, ah, ah. Uh, damn it, daddy, man. <laughs> daddy, <laughs> daddy, love daddy. Oh, daddy. We need daddy back on. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So, um, just as an explanation for this, so like I said, the green, silver, and blue uh, wavy horizontal bars and those colours represent the borough's connection with the New River, the Green Belt areas, and open spaces. The principal charge, as in the arms of the former Borough Enfield, is a mythological heraldic creature known as an Enfield. So the creature's the myth- mythological name is Enfield, hence the name. The gun lives in a cage. Nope, not a gun, not a gun. <laughs> and this creature of the uh, myth- mythological Enfield has the head of a fox, the chest of a hound, the talons of an eagle, the body of a lion, and the hindquarters and tail of a wolf which has now become our modern-day simplified logo. How's that, my dog? The stags. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> 50 animals. Explain the others now. 50 animals for that one fox that we <laughs> yeah. call the fox on the right-hand side. Serious gangbang. Yeah. Stag's head and the wreath of red roses around it are derived from the supporters of the borough of Southgate. So that stag is representing Southgate's participation of Enfield and support where the stags refer to the former forests and the red roses record the association with the Duchy of Lancaster. So that's all these boroughs coming together and making one logo. The chained lion on the left 
with a saltire is derived from the supporters of the borough of Edmonton, where they typified or typified courage and determination. So the stag is going to be Southgate. Um, Edmonton is the chained line, and Enfield has become that mixed one. Uh, and this Enfield is derived from the arms. Oh, cool. So Edmontonians were known to be quite brave. I mean... Hey! I'm proud I think of that's it, man. Just, one person drew that and then said that's what all those things were. But, but Charlie, if, if, we, Charlie, if we take life with that, then it's going to be more this one person told me this thing. What makes it true? This one person was like, and I've got a duck and I've got a squirrel in it and there's a fox in it and an elephant. Hey, give give him a break. Like, yeah, that represents the poverty in the north. <laughs> give him a break. He was 13 going through his midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, was a... <laughs> he won it as like a make It was the midlife crisis. It was m- medium evil. There was loads. There was an animal with like four different you know, like amalgamations to make one. This guy had a lot on his plate. He was like, "I'm gonna sit and draw a freaking picture, right?" And it represents all that. Represents yeah. all of that. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that has been a brief history of London and Enfield with a touch of Edmonton, with some trivia facts and our own experiences and opinions. I hope you found it enjoyable and colourful. And I uh, hope you learned something. If not, then, um, well, I can't help you. Go watch Horrible Histories. If I can't help you, go watch Horrible Histories. That's, yeah, that's, 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 advice. Advice. Go, that's the yeah. advice right there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, guys, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, come back next week. We'll talk about, I don't know, whoever's hosting or whatever they will host. But uh, I have been your host today, Sirhan, and with, with me, as always, has been... Your boy, Charlie. Your boy, Rick. Fraser. It's your boy Stuart. Yeah, bruv, isn't it, bruv? Yeah, bruv, Stuart. Uh, no one likes it. God damn it, Stuart said, I was me. I do the arms. Man, it's the fuck. It's the fuck. It's the fuck. Why you lying? 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 Why you l